it all in never understand such perfect love to come broken and beat for the wounded and weak fall at his feet he's the remedy you're the remedy get into those times, we all get into those moments, and maybe some here this evening, maybe many, going through a very difficult trial, know exactly what it means to be battered and bruised and beaten up. Lord, you know exactly as well. You know exactly because you you took all of that for us. And Lord, you walk the path with us. And Lord, I just pray that regardless of where any of us might be tonight, Lord, that we would have that fresh understanding, that revelation, Lord, that you would make yourself so real right now. That you truly are the remedy for whatever it is that we're going through. Lord, we know that you don't waste a moment, but you redeem every moment. Lord, we ask that you bless our time this evening in your word, that you would that you would grow us, that you would sanctify us. Sanctify us by the truth, Lord. Your word is truth. Have your way here tonight. In each, in each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good evening. Take out your Bibles, if you would, and open them up with me. To 1 Kings. And we are... Picking up again now in chapter 9, 1 Kings chapter 9, looking at the life of King Solomon, David's son, as we've seen, as we've studied the first eight chapters here, we looked at the fact that David, or Solomon, a young man, when he takes the throne, when his father David passes away, and the Lord appears to Solomon and grants him it says, whatever you wish, I will give to you. And he asks for wisdom. 
The Lord said, because you did not ask for riches or fame or victory over your enemies, not only will I give you wisdom, but I will give you all of these things that you didn't ask for. And we've seen, as we've looked at this now, Solomon's great wisdom and, and his great fame that grew and, that, and the wealth. We're going to take a look at some more of that even tonight. We've looked at uh, the fact that David desired to build the temple for the Lord, the house for God, and and. The Lord did not allow him to, told him that Solomon, his son, would do that. And we looked at Solomon did indeed have the temple built and it was dedicated. We looked at that the last time. And now we pick up in chapter 9, about halfway through Solomon's reign as king. We've looked at, the, like I said, the things that have led up to this point. We're at kind of the high point in in the history of the of the Jewish people, they they control the most land that they ever will. They they of all of the land that the Lord promised to them, now they occupy as much as they ever will under King Solomon. They're not at any war. Everything is going well. Solomon is 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 as we looked at this last time, the the benediction and the and the the prayer that he had still a man like his father David at this point, seeking after God, a man after God's own heart. But we're going to see, unfortunately, as we look at these chapters tonight, uh, uh, a rather steady decline in the, in the life of, of King Solomon. It says now in chapter 9, verse 1, Now it came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all that Solomon desired to do. So not only did he build the temple for the Lord, but we talked about also the the large home that he built for himself as well. The Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, house which you have built by putting my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. We looked at, Dave, or at Solomon's prayer last time, and that was Solomon's prayer, that, that God truly would, he would dwell in this place, knowing that, that this, this earthly building could certainly not contain the Lord or, or all of him there, but that his presence would be there, and that his, his, his eyes would be on the, the children of Israel and his heart with them. And he talked about the times that when they would fall into sin and, and into captivity, or there would be, there would be uh, punishment brought upon them, if they would simply turn and pray and repent, that he would have compassion. And, and he's now responding to this prayer. It's the part of, of, of the Lord, Solomon offering up this prayer, truly praying the will of God to the Lord, because that is the Lord's will, that if we do sin, it tells us in 1 John, if we sin, we confess our sin, and God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's desire for us, to understand that when we stumble, we simply turn and repent. That's God's heart. And it was never about a building. He says here again that you, have, that you have made this house for me and consecrated it, putting, and I put my name on it, my eyes, my heart will be there forever perpetually, but it's never about a building. It's about that relationship, the individual relationship with God. As for you, he now turns this to Solomon, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. 
just as I promised to your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Notice the conditional statement that he's making, just as he did with, with David, the conditional statement with this, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, then I will establish your throne. But he goes on, but, verse 6, if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, them then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and the house which I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight so Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to his, this house? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them, therefore the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. The Lord speaking to Solomon saying, if you follow me, all that I say, and serve me with all of your heart, you will be blessed. Everything will go well. But if you don't, if you turn, there will be consequences for that. And I can't help but think, as Solomon must have been thinking perhaps at this time, man, everything is perfect. Everything is, is right in stride. The, the, the temple is done that we have peace everywhere. Man, we just had this beautiful dedication service. What are you talking about, God, if we fall away? Perhaps getting very, a, little, a little confident in that. And guys, we need to always listen when God warns. Always listen to God's warning. He never wastes a warning. He never says anything just to hear himself speak. And if Solomon would have heeded this and, and took this to heart and, and owned this every day, I doubt we would read what we're going to read as we go forward. But perhaps met with a little bit of, I'm good right now, that's not something I need to worry about. Man, you, you and I, God, we're, we're, we got this thing wired together. That's not a sin I need to worry about. That's not an area I need to worry about in my life. I've conquered that. Oh, be careful if we ever get that heart and that that thought in our, in our minds. The Bible tells us very clearly, take heed lest ye fall. We always have to realize that, that we are just one step away. It's by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in us and our connection with that that, we, that we, we can walk the walk that is before us. I, I think, again, it's, it's interesting too, even that as we go through this, the Lord speaking this and basic prophesying, this will take place, unfortunately. I'd love to tell you that verse four and five is what takes place, but it's not. It's verses six through nine that takes place. Not only Solomon, but Solomon's sons and the kings that follow, turn away from the Lord, worship other gods. They're brought, taken into captivity. This temple that is built, this beautiful temple is totally destroyed. And the people walk by and shake their head. Man, what a shame. What happened here? It says, and they will say, because they forsook the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Just again, that thought. Just Can you, can you imagine, again, that discussion that's going on there? And just think about that. The God that that brought them out of Egypt, the God that delivered them, they turned their back on him and started worshiping our gods. 
Kind of silly, isn't it? But that's what takes place. We're going to see that, unfortunately, as we continue to study through the life of the kings, first and second kings. Well, verse 10, it came about at the end of 20 years. So this is the halfway point. We're going to find out Solomon rules for 40 years. So at the end of 20 years, we're halfway through, in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold according to all his desire. Then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Remember that Hiram, the the king of Tyre, Solomon had a good relationship with him, became friends. He supplied the timber that was needed and, and a lot of the labor that was involved in cutting the timber and getting it sent down for the building of the temple and for the building of his house. So Solomon now, and we're going to see here in a moment, gives him 20 cities in the land of Galilee. So Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given to him, and they did not please him. He said, what are these cities which you have given me, my brother? So they are called the land of Kabul to this day. And if you have a marginal Bible, it's got a note there. Notice what it says that Kabul means. It means as good as nothing. (laughs) These cities that Solomon gave to Hiram, as we'll see in a moment, as collateral, that, that he looks at this and he goes, what are these? These are, these, are, these are nothing. These are as good as nothing, these cities. It says, and Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. By the way, that is the equivalent of 4.5 tons of gold. Just did the, did the math today. That is $172,800,000 in today's money. So this is, these, these cities were basically, if you would, collateral for that. It wasn't given permanently. Solomon, first of all, had no right to do this to begin with. He doesn't have the, the permission. God didn't say, hey, go ahead and give 10 cities that I gave to the children of Israel. Give them to a, a foreign land. He did that in order to, as, as collateral, if you would, for this gold that he gives, this four and a half tons of gold. We see it looking, if you read ahead into Second Chronicles and you read through the story there, Solomon gets the cities back and rebuilds them and, and, and that type of thing. So that, that's what was done in this, in this case here. Verse 15, now this is the account of the forced labor which King Solomon levied to build the house of the Lord his, and his own house, the Milo, which is the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer, For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burnt it with fire and killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. That's quite a present. The king of Pharaoh goes and he wipes out an entire city, killing everybody and says, happy wedding day, honey, and gives that to his daughter. Solomon goes and cleans it all up because it's a burnt down mess and... uh, But he also builds up these other areas throughout the kingdom. One of the places that's listed here, Megiddo. If you go to 
If you go to Israel on a tour of Israel or you've been there, no doubt been to Megiddo, um, this tell that is a city built upon another city upon another city upon another, it's this big mound, man-made mound, and you walk actually walk through the layers of history. It's a fascinating sight to go through. You get to an area that they believe was the area in the time of Solomon then where they actually have uncovered stables where the horses would have been kept there, and it overlooks the valley of Armageddon where everything will take place. Across the valley of, from Megiddo is Nazareth where Jesus grew up, Great sight to see, but we see that that's one of the places that Solomon invested a large amount of money and resources to build. Solomon rebuilt Gezer, Lower Beth Horon, and Baalath, and Tamar in the wilderness, in the land of Judah. And all the storage cities which Solomon had, even the cities for his chariots and the cities for his horsemen, and all that it pleased Solomon to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon, and in all the land under his rule. So basically, again, we're going to see that that. Money was no object for Solomon. He was wise. He was wealthy. He's doing whatever he wants to do, building up all of the the cities in the land. Again, there's no wars to be fought. They're at peace at every angle. As for all the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the otherites, who were not of the sons of Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land whom the sons of Israel were unable to destroy utterly, From then Solomon levied forced laborers even to this day. So all of the people that still remained in the land, God told them when they moved in to wipe them all out. They didn't. They brought as many of them into subjection and and basically made slaves of them. Forced labor. But Solomon did not make slaves of the sons of Israel, for they were men of war, his servants, his princes, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. These were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work, 550, and ruled over the people during the work. Again, kind of a recap of some of the things we looked at before with, during the building of the temple in his home. As soon as Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her, then he built the Milo. And again, that, that term that is there, the Milo, that is the wall that is around the north and northwest side of, of the Temple Mount area in Jerusalem fortification, if you would. Now, three times in a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he built to the Lord, burning incense with them on the altar which was before the Lord, so he finished the house. The three times of the year that were required, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, we looked at that the tabernacles the last time, that was the feast that one week that turned into two weeks, the sacrifices there, but also Passover and Pentecost were the other two feasts where this was required. Solomon, in obedience, did that, leading the nation again in obedience with this. Solomon also built a fleet of ships in Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, sailors who knew the sea along with the servants of Solomon. Again, we see Solomon's wisdom in not only he built this, this is, by the way, the only mention of a naval fleet ever in the, for the children of Israel. They, they, didn't, they weren't seagoing people, but Solomon built these, these ships, had these ships built, but his people didn't know how to do that, didn't know how to navigate the seas. So again, he goes to his friend Hiram. He sent, they send servants then to help them with this process. They went to Ophir, 
and took 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. That's just shy of 16 tons of gold. So a lot of gold in Solomon's kingdom. Chapter 10. Now when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. His fame had spread to wherever Sheba might be. Some believe it's Ethiopia. Others have a couple of other possibilities. But regardless, it's a long ways away. And Solomon's fame has traveled far and wide. And this queen comes now to challenge this, what she has heard, to make sure that it's true. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large... I don't even know what that word is. Anybody else? Contingent, I'm assuming that's what it means, with camels carrying spices with very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. It basically left her breathless. She saw everything that was going on. Notice again the things that she focused in on, all of the things that had to do with him and all that he had acquired, the table, the seating of the servants, all of the attendants. We talked about all of the food that was served to all of the people and all that was going on. It left her speechless. It left her breathless. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came And my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, by the way, the same amount that he borrowed from Hiram, and very great amount of spices and precious stones. Never again did such an abundance of spices come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. We see here how impressed she was by Solomon how blown away she was by his wisdom and all that he had accumulated and all that was going on and just how everything operated and how everything was administered and just amazed. The one thing that I don't see here in, the, in all that she said, I would have loved to have seen a response from Solomon saying, all glory to God, all glory to God. And we don't see that response here. I'm not saying that it didn't happen because it doesn't tell us it didn't happen, but I believe personally that it's not in there for that reason. I see that this is kind of perhaps a turning point in the life of Solomon, that that he's now receiving the praise from from this this queen that has come to look look into everything that, that that he has and that he has done. Been doing a study 
with, with uh, some people here at, um, in how to study the Bible, and we were looking at this verse last night, and it just brought to remembrance again to me, just reading these verses today. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as workmen who do, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, that specifically is speaking about studying the word and sharing the word. Be diligent to show yourselves approved to God. And the point that I made with them in this study is that it's easy. It is easy when we're studying the word to share it that we're diligent to be approved by man. That we, that we study and that we, that we go about certain things so that, that when we present it, we're not embarrassed in front of people, that, that we are approved by men. And I draw that back, and I'll take it out because I, don't, I, I believe it fits here too, that in Solomon here, all that he was doing all of a sudden now it looks like there's this idea to be approved by men that is an important part to him, to impress other people instead of glorifying God with everything that he has. Jeremiah records the, the, the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom or a mighty man of his might or a rich man of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Like I said, I'd love it if Solomon said, man, I, I know, isn't it amazing how good God is? This is all because of God. This is nothing because of me. This wisdom that I have is a gift. I had to ask for it, and he blessed it me and gave it to me giving all glory, but he seems to certainly receive the glory is what it looks like in our text and something that we all have to be so careful of. Verse 11, also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir a very great number of almug trees and precious stones. The king made of the almug trees supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers, such almug trees have not come in again, nor have they been seen to this day. King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all her desire which she requested, besides what she gave her according, what he gave her according to his royal bounty. Then she turned and went on to her own land with her servants. Now the weight of gold, verse 14, which, is, which came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. His salary for a year, 25 tons of gold. Which, by the way, in case you're wondering, that's $960 million in today's, today, today's economy. Not a bad salary for, for a king. And I... I, I would challenge you, don't make a big deal out of that number 666 right there. I know that, that, that always gets our antennas up, right? But I, I don't think that there's any significance to that, just my opinion. Besides that, from the traders and the wares of the merchants and all the kings of the Arabs and the governors of the country, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold using 600 shekels of gold for each large shield. 
200 shields of gold. Now these shields, the word that's used there is the shield that a, that a soldier would carry that would protect his entire front. You know, you've seen those where the old pictures, the big shields, not the little ones that would be for hand-to-hand combat, but the large shield. Now, it certainly wasn't meant to carry it into battle. No, no soldier other than maybe Goliath could carry that shield into battle. This was, this was to hang on his wall. This was like trophies uh, along the wall in his home, and 200 of them. He made 300 shields of beaten gold. That's a different one, the smaller ones, using the three minas of gold in each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. So 500 shields of gold, just just as things to hang on the wall. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with refined gold. Can you imagine that? An ivory throne, how cool would that be? But that's not cool enough. I'm going to overlay it with gold. He's got, he's got too much money and too much time on his hands, I think. And there were six steps to the throne and around top to the throne and its rear and its arms on each side of the seat and the two lions standing beside the arms. Twelve lions were standing there on the six steps on each side, one on the other one side and one on the other. Nothing like it was made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. He didn't drink out of glass or silver or anything else. Made out of gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of, of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. Silver was no big deal because there was so much gold. For the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. So he's importing these these exotic animals in. King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. They brought every man his gifts, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, and he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. The king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem and made cedars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowland. Also, Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kur, and the king's merchants procured them from Ku, Ku for a price. A chariot was imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150, and by the same means they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and to the kings of the Arameans. Now, I read through that section quickly, but I want to go back and point out a couple of things. Notice, it says 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. That's for him. But now also notice, he's importing a chariot. It says a chariot imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver, which we know how much silver is for him. It's just, it's common. It's everywhere. And a horse for 150. So he's importing these, and then he's buying them wholesale and selling them retail. He's, he's got a business going, buying and selling horses and chariots. Chapter 11, I want to touch on this and then we'll make a point with this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women among, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. 
from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. For they will surely turn your heart away after other gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. Deuteronomy chapter 7, going back several hundred years from when we're looking at right now. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, Then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me and serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. Clearly, the Lord said, do not intermarry with the the people of this area. In chapter 17 of Deuteronomy, beginning in verse 14, it says, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. You shall set as a king over yourselves. You shall not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countrymen. Moreover, verse 16, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord said to you, you shall never return that way again. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver or gold for himself. Now, it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the law and a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, and he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of the law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. So, clearly laid out, don't multiply horses, don't multiply wives, and don't multiply silver and gold. Make a copy of the law and read it every day. Meditate on it continually. Fast forward back to the verses we just did. What did Solomon do? Multiplied horses... Went back to Egypt to get those horses, multiplied wives, multiplied silver and gold. And again, here's, might I remind you, this is the wisest man that's ever lived. And when I, when I think through that, I, I, I ask myself these questions. Why? How in the world could that happen? And the only, the only possible explanation that I could come up with is that somehow he thought that doesn't apply to me. Somehow he came to the point, either he didn't know the law, but I don't believe that, 
but he came to the point where that doesn't apply to me. Or perhaps he said, you know what? That, that was 400 years ago. Times have changed. Things are different now. You know, that, that was for back then. Things are, things are different now. And we, we face that today, don't we? Isn't that what we hear so often today? That this was, this was you know, this is a thousand, couple thousand years old. This is, this is you know, the, times are different today. You know, God's word never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just because times have changed, that doesn't mean that God's word changes. That doesn't mean that anything in here changes. We don't have time to do an in-depth study, but Colossians chapter 3, I'll just go through it, real, just touch on it real quickly. Paul writes, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things, not on the things that are on the earth. Solomon, Solomon somewhere along the line, stopped being vertical, and he started being horizontal. He took his eyes off of those things that at the beginning of his reign, he was like, Lord, I just want what you want. I just want to follow you. I want to have wisdom so that I can rule your people. It's all about you. And somewhere along the line, that, that, that line got pretty vertical. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Verse 5, chapter 3 of Colossians. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them... You also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, all of them. And then he continues the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. His list that he goes through, immorality, that's the Greek word pornea, and it covers all types of sexual sin. And the word of God says that we are to consider ourselves dead to all types of sexual sin. That includes fornication, sex outside of marriage. That includes adultery, sex outside of a marriage covenant that you are having sex with someone other than your husband or wife, homosexuality, any type of sexual sin. We are to consider ourselves dead to. That's what the word of God says. Ah, oh, but that's... Times have changed. That's accepted everywhere now. That doesn't matter. The word of God never changes. Immorality, impurity, that takes it to the next level. Not just the actions, but the thoughts. Lustful thoughts. Greed, which is idolatry. Anger, that bitterness that is deep down within, that, that, that stirs within. Wrath, malice, slander, gossip, abusive speech, lying. Those things need to be, we consider ourselves dead to. Put them all away. It's not a list that we can pick three or five from. All of them, it says. 
He goes on, and it put on, a, put on the new self who is being renewed in the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Again, it's, it's not... It's not up to us to pick and choose. It's not up to us to to gloss over. And there's a reason behind it. Again, God doesn't pick just a rule, a bunch of things and say, you know what, I'm doing this just to see if you'll follow me. I, I, I want to make your life miserable. No, he calls things sin because they hurt, because they cause damage. We were in, when we were in New Jersey, then this is just a, a just a, a piece of what's in the world, the, the thoughts that are in the world that are that per, have permeated the world. We were talking with this young man. Started out, uh, Pastor Donnie was talking to him, and then he brought him over, and his his question was, why would God, why would God call homosexuality sin if it makes two people happy? And I and I I said, you know, that's that's a good question. However, you know, we'll come back to that word happy in a minute. But I said, let me ask you this. Do you, have a, do you have a little brother or sister? He goes, yeah, I have a little sister. And I said, what would you do if she had a, 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 a glass of, of apple juice that had poison in it and she wanted to drink it? Would you let her drink it? And he said, no, of course not. And, and I said, well, why not? Said, well, it would, it would hurt her or kill her. I said, well, what if it made her happy? Never thought of that. And that's the thing. We, the, the Lord understands this. That's why he says that don't do these things. Don't, because it causes pain. It causes suffering. It causes death. And what the world says is happiness is temporary at best. We are promised joy that is unending. We are promised we are promised an abundant life beyond what we can imagine or think if we will simply follow what it is that the Lord calls us to do. We walk in his ways. That was his promise to Solomon. That was his promise to David. That's his promise to us that we will, that, that we will have joy unending if we will simply believe, trust in him, and follow in his ways. Solomon didn't. Solomon ignored the warning of God. And it says, no, they will surely turn your heart away. That's, the, that's what the, it says in verse 2. They will surely. That's the reason God said don't intermarry. That's why he said it back in Deuteronomy, because he knows what will happen. He knows the weakness in, human, in the human heart and in human flesh. He, I know your intention when you go into this relationship is that I know they're not a believer, but my, I, I know God's called us to be together, and, and I'm going to make them a Christian. That's not true. That's that God has not called you to be together because his word says very clearly, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. If God has truly called you to be together, you separate and, and, until that person becomes a believer and you can be involved in that process, but that you cannot be yoked together with them and be in the will of God. Solomon ignored it. He probably thought, that could never happen to me. Man, I love God. I could never, <laughs> no way. Look at verse three. 
His wives turned his heart away. God's word is always true. He said, if you do this, you will surely be turned away. A couple of things with this, too. I don't have a lot of time left. But notice first it says in verse 1, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. No, he didn't. <laughs> not, not in the way the Bible calls a husband to love his wife, as Christ loved the church. Solomon didn't love those women individually as he should, as, as he could if he had one wife. There's no way. You cannot. It's, it's, it's impossible. He loved the idea. Something about women and the relationship with women and all of this type of stuff is what he loved. He didn't have a trophy wife. He had a trophy wife case. <laughs> he, a, he, 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of weddings. That's a lot of mother-in-laws. That's, that's a lot of... That's, no, wonder, no wonder there's a proverb that's recorded twice that says, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a contentious woman. He wrote that. And he wrote it twice. Because I can only imagine... It's, and, and we... Read, read the next few verses. I, I don't have time to go through it really fast. We've got to close. But can you imagine? He ends up building temples for their gods. And I can only imagine. He did it the first time, and then the one of them was, well, you built a temple for her god. You ought to build a temple for my god. And then, you know, over and over, and after 700 of those, he's like, man, where's the corner of the roof? <laughs> Guys, the bottom line is, we cannot play with the word of God. We cannot say, you know what, it's different for me. You know what, that's, that was for then. Times have changed. I know God is telling me it's okay. I know the word of God says this, but there is no but. The word of God is the word of God, and, and it never changes. It never changes. I wanted to finish chapter 11, but we'll pick up there next week. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I, for one, thank you that it is never changing. That it is alive. That it is active. That it divides. But it never changes. Lord, we can, we can stand on your word. We can have confidence in your word because it never changes. In a world, Lord, where everything seems to be changing, where nothing seems to be firm that we can stand on other than your word, Lord, we have your word and we thank you for that. Lord, forgive us for those times when we try to twist it, when we try to manipulated or Lord those times when we quite frankly just ignore it Lord we ask that you would strengthen us in your word that you would sanctify us with your word the truth of your word set us apart for you Lord give us give us opportunities to be examples give us opportunities to share your word this week because Lord we're in a 
we're in a crazy time right now. We're in a crazy, we don't, the, the world doesn't know what to believe right now. Our country doesn't know what to believe right now. We know. We can believe in you and your word. So Lord, give us opportunity to share that this week. Thank you for this time. Bless our week now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Just as I am.